Dear Father, homecoming Sabbath kind of reminds us of a homecoming someday for the entire human race. So we're glad to be a part of this homecoming. And the nation is rather in a crazy sort of way right now. We can't quite figure out what's happening in America. May hope be your response to our national collective heart. May it be your response to our hearts. Bless this moment of teaching. Make it clear, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a cool autumn evening about this time of year, actually, in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. A friend of mine and I decided to go down to the National Cathedral, majestic Gothic architecture there in D.C. that evening. We were at church headquarters for meetings during the day. Let's just go. Come on. A friend of mine, Rob Lloyd. Let's, let's, let's just go check it out. We slipped into the uh, cathedral to find, to find out there's a prayer service going on. Shh. They've gathered. And as we sat in the back pew and listened, we discovered it's a prayer service for those suffering from AIDS. We sat there quietly and watched as one after another came forward to the officiants who were standing at the front, some alone, some with family, some with family and friends, as the officiants prayed, prayed for healing. I'm sure every heart was there for physical healing. But there's so many times when your heart also longs for emotional healing. It longs for spiritual healing. I tell you what, it was, it was, it was an awesome moment just to sit there and watch and pray with these strangers. Not unlike, by the way, the moment when he is hanging there in midair, suspended from the ceiling that has been ripped open with a hole large enough to lower a man through, there he is. We are told he is suffering from the phys physical effects of a lifestyle he pursued once upon a time, spindly, immobile legs. Skin, taunt, fallow, yellow, decaying. And as he, as he hangs there in midair, his friends eagerly watching from the hole, the one over whose head the hole had been rapidly dug, looks down. This one has a man face. Strong features, but a tenderness and a kindness unusual. Dark eyes of compassion. He looks down into the twitching face. If you've ever seen the face of guilt, and in my kind of work, I see that face once upon now and then. The eyes darting, desperate, a twitch. The one who looks down reads the entire story. This man doesn't want healing for his legs. His heart is about to die. And in desperation, he's come through the roof. And Jesus speaks. 
And when Jesus speaks, he activates a law that has been operative in the universe as long as there has been a creator God. We've learned about that law in this series, hashtag RXF4NOW. The law goes like this. Whenever the Creator speaks a word, no matter what word it is He speaks, the spoken omnipotent word instantly creates the reality that the word describes. So when he stood in this dark spot of the Milky Way and he said, let there be light, in half a nanosecond, there is light. Whenever God speaks a word, that word, whether here or here, immediately creates the reality he speaks. So the same creator, now incarnated in human flesh, looks down at this shriveled, desperate, dying heart. And he speaks the words, the man has come to hear, son, your sins are forgiven. And in that instant, the omnipotence unleashed with the word, let there be forgiveness, All over the face, you see it. Desire of Ages captures this moment. Oh, lock this moment in your heart. Could he really do this for me too? The burden, the paralytic, the burden of despair rolls from the sick sick man's soul. The peace of forgiveness rests upon his spirit and shines out upon his countenance. In simple faith, he accepted the words of Jesus as the boon of new life. He urged no further request. He didn't come for the legs. He came for the heart. He urges no further request, but he lay in blissful silence, too happy for words, staring into the face that smiles down on him. The light of heaven, oh, I love this. The light of heaven irradiated his countenance, and the people looked with awe. Wow, did you see that? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, our text. Would you find it in your Bible, whatever Bible you brought? Didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. You got your device there. Let's go. Romans chapter 8. What has just happened? Before our eyes, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore, and I'm in the NIV, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? Come on, finish the sentence for me. For those who are what? In Christ Jesus. In Christ. That's Paul's favorite. That's it. That has become Paul's life mission theme. He is a champion of in Christ over 200 times. Over 200 times in his scribbled epistles, he will use that phrase or one of its cognates, in Christ, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, in him. Why? Because when you're in Christ, something happens to you and you'll never be the same again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And by the way, that is precisely what the paralytic desperately needed to know. And he learned it like that. Because you see, just go, go backwards into chapter 7, verse 24. The, the cry, the anguish cry of the paralytic is captured here in verse 27 of Romans, Romans chapter 7. Verse 24, rather. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? There isn't an Andrews alum that does not know the truth about that line. You may have dodged it. You may have ducked it. You may have tried to forget it. You may have even self-medicated yourself so that you will never think of it again. But that truth is born and birthed in every heart that longs for something more. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? O wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You can be a student at Andrews University. That's your cry. You can be a faculty member. You can be a preacher at Andrews University. That's your cry. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We are all paralytics. And the bad news is terrible. Which is why you need to get the good news, which is the very next verse. Wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Look at verse 25. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. <laughs> wow. In Christ. No condemnation. You say, oh, I don't know that that's true. Well, come on. Think about it. Why would God condemn someone who's in Christ? He'd be condemning himself. That would be the craziest thing in the universe to do. Why would I condemn myself? If you're in Christ, no condemnation. It's illogical for condemnation to arise. It's impossible. If you're in Christ, no condemnation. Why would I condemn myself? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Turns out Paul is trying to set us, he's trying to get our attention with this in Christ. Over 200 times he'll use this phrase, come on, get it, get it, get it, get it. In fact, I'll tell you this, he has already set us up for chapter 8, verse 1, in what he did in chapter 5. So just turn the page, just go back to Romans chapter 5. Everybody knows Romans 5, at least the first half of it. It's the second half we ignore. The first half is, is just replete with this glorious description of God's love, the Father's love, the Son's love for us. You remember this? Romans chapter 5, let's pick it up in verse 6. You see, just at the right time, hmm? just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, look, Paul goes on. Very rarely will anyone die. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But, verse 8, God the Father, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You cannot be loved today anymore by the God, the supreme being of this universe, than you are already loved. Nothing you can do to diminish that love. Nothing you can do to increase that love. Nothing. So Paul is father, son, father, son. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then all of a sudden Paul says, hey, yo, I want to tell you, I want to talk about Adam. Adam, Paul, why would you bring up Adam now? We're having a great time with the father and the son. I'll show you, he says, drop down to verse 12. Now here we go into territory nobody ventures in Romans 5. Come on. There's something stunning here. Watch this. Verse 12. 
Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man. Who is the father of the human race? Help me out. Who's the father of the human race? Be Adam. Therefore, just as sin entered the, the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And Paul stops. All your new translations just have a big dash and then white space after it. You know why? Because he, didn't, he never finished the sentence. He never finished the sentence. When we see him in eternity, yo, Paul, that sentence in Romans 5, what was up with that? Why didn't you finish it? Hey, haven't you ever had a, come on, alums, didn't you have a brilliant professor, one of your classes? Come on, students, today. Brilliant professor, the, the man, the woman is waxing eloquent, and all of a sudden, shh, she's gone. Where did she go? We were just talking about this, but shh, now we're here. Brilliant mind. I thought of something else, and he's gone the other way. I read John Brunt's commentary two summers ago, the Bible application commentary in the book of Romans, read it through, and I learned from John that, in fact, the linguists have a technical word for unfinished sentences. It's called anakuluthon. It means the sentence that never ends the way it should. <laughs> so that's a one of those. We just have one of those. There's no ending to it. But the boy, oh boy, the path that Paul went on to. Take a look at this path. Because you see, Paul, with his brilliant Hebrew mind, he's a Jewish scholar, Paul knows that in Judaism, that in Hebrew thought, you don't have, like we have it in the West, you and me, individual, 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 individual. We're just a nation of individuals. We've lost connectivity. We've lost collective and corporate. We're just individuals now. In the Hebrew mind, the, the many are one person. They're, the many are one, and the many have a representative head that is, a, that is the head of the one. Thousands are in that one. And that's what Paul is now going to show us. We once had a head. We now have a new head. And he's setting us up for the in Christ theme. Watch this. Drop down to uh, verse 15. But the gift, because he's talking about the Father, Son, the gift, Calvary, Calvary. The gift is not like the trespass, the sin of Adam. For if the many died, if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? How much more? He's setting us up. Now he's going to run them by us. Three, three parallels. Boy, if we had a chart... The study guide, by the way, is in your... All the quotations today, you have them in your worship bulletin, but there's nothing to fill in. But if we had a chart, boy, here we would go. Three parallels. Here they come. Let's pick it up in verse 17. For if... Let's put that on the screen, please. There we go. For if by the trespass of the one man, that would be Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus? All right. Let's, let, let's, let's create a little graph. We'll have three lines to this chart. We'll call it a chart instead. Adam equals what? Death reigns. Yeah. Adam equals death reigns. And then over here beside would be Christ. And what happens with Christ? Life reigns. Okay, let's go. This is uh, verse 18 now. Consequently, three of these parallels, he's going to fire by us. Consequently, just as, the, as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for how many people? For how many people? For all. All. Okay, second line. Come on, put the, put the chart up real quick. Second line. Adam equals condemnation for how many? All. Christ equals Justification or pardon in life for how many? For all. 
Paul says, are you getting this? How about one more, Paul? He says, I'll give you another one. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that would be Adam, the many... And by the way, when Paul uses many and all, it's the same thing. You're not trying to deal with numbers here. No. Many means all. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Oh, come on. Put that third line up. Adam, many made sinners. Christ, many made righteous. What's going on here? Paul is actually, Paul is borrowing language from the greatest messianic prophecy in the Old Testament, the Isaiah 53. He's grabbing the language and he's weaving it in here. Uh, let's put Isaiah 53 on, this, on the screen because Isaiah 53 is about the Messiah, the servant of Israel. See, Israel is one person. The servant is the head. The servant is going to go through what Israel will not have to go through because the servant goes through. That's what's happening in Isaiah 53. Take a look at verses 11 and 12. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, for he bore the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. Somebody stepping in. I will represent all of them. What are you going to do? What are you going to do by stepping in? Go back to verses 5 and 6. But he, the servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Keep reading. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the representative of the entire human race, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You were under Adam. What do you get for being under Adam? Death. You now can be under Christ. And what do you get for being under Christ? Life. In Adam, condemnation. In Christ, pardon and life. For all, by the way. For all. And I need to ask you this question. How much of all is all? How much of all is all? It's pretty much all, isn't it? It's pretty much all. All pardoned. All have life. Look at verse 18. You say, Dwight, you're just making this up. Come on. Verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. As many people that are under Adam and in sin and death, that same number of people now in Christ pardoned. Life. A century ago, a short little lady named Ellen White wrote three stunning sentences. These are all in your study guide. You take them home. Let me run these three sentences by you. Sentence number one. She's, she's commenting on the prayer, Father, forgive them, as he's being nailed to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That prayer, so putting it on the screen now, from Desire of Ages, that prayer of Christ for his enemies embraced the world. It took in every sinner that had lived or should live from the beginning of the world to the end of time. Upon how many? Upon all rests the guilt of crucifying the Son of God. To how many? To all forgiveness is freely offered. Whosoever will may have peace with God and inherit eternal life. End quote. The entire human race was pardoned, forgiven, justified in Christ. Now here comes stunning sentence number two. On the screen, Christ took in his grasp the world over which Satan claimed to preside as his lawful territory, and by his wonderful work in giving his life, Christ restored the whole race of men and women to favor, to favor 
with God. The whole race. Stunning sentence number three. I love this one. Watch this. Jesus' heart of divine love and sympathy is drawn out most of all for the one who is the most hopelessly entangled in the snares of the enemy. Hit the pause button right there. There are some of you here that sentence is describing right now. You know, you come to homecoming, you come to time and then reconnecting with your class and old friends. And, you know, we have this little, we have this little uh, sentence on our hard disk that we, that we just keep repeating. Yo, how are you? Fine, thank you. And you? Yo, how are you? Fine, thank you. And you? Yo, fine, thank you. And you? They don't even have to ask. We, know, we have the answer. Fine, thank you. And you? And yet behind that well-manicured alum face or that well-manicured and handsome student face, something's going on. Your life is entangled. Your stomach is in knots. You are in such a bind that nobody can slice this knot. Did you just notice what we read? Jesus is drawn most to people like that. Entangled as you are in the back row of the balcony, He's drawn to you more than others. He's drawn to you more than drawn to them. (laughs) Wow. Jesus' heart of divine sympathy, divine love and sympathy is drawn out most of all for the one who is most hopelessly entangled in the snares of the enemy. Here it comes. With His own blood, He has signed the emancipation papers of the race. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the point, please. God is not trying to play hard to get with the human race. The door to his heart, the door to his home is wide open today. You can come home now. No questions asked. No questions asked. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Just come to me and I'll save you. It's called the gospel. All the charges are dropped. In fact, listen to this. The only way, the only way a human being can possibly be lost is if the human chooses to be lost. You have to choose to be lost because God's default position is a wide open heart to you, a love that will never stop loving you, ever, ever, ever. That's his default. If you, want to, if you want to be lost, you have, to, you have to say no to him. Otherwise, he says, come. Come on. Let's go. You and me. Wow. And by the way, this is not universalism. You can say no. He's justified and pardoned and forgiven the entire human race. You can come home right now. No questions asked. This is not universalism. You have the right to say, no, I don't want to go home. But why anybody would not want to come is beyond me. You say, ah, yeah, but Dwight, you have no idea how horrible a sinner I am. My family does not know. My spouse does not know. My friends do not know. I've been living with this. You have no concept. You are absolutely right, my friend. I do not know how horrible it is in your heart. All I know is the darkness that dwells too often deep 
in my own soul. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And this much else I do know from the studying and the reading and the praying that I've done over this hashtag RXF for NOW. This much I do know. For every horrible sinner, there is one wonderful Savior. That much I know. No, no matter how much sin is in your life and in my life, verse 20 in the old King James is absolutely true. Put it on the screen, please. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The more sins you have, the more grace He pours in. The more sins you have, the more grace He pours in. She who does not confess, confess much does not receive much. Simon, Simon, the woman has wept over my feet and washed them, and you didn't kiss me. You gave me no oil for my head. You, you didn't wash my feet. She who has been forgiven much loves deeply. Amen. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Wow. And by the way, the news is even better. Hold on to your pew now, because we're going to get to the best news. It's come right now, so hold on. Come on. Hold on. Grab that cold wooden pew. <laughs> because in Christ, it gets... Come on, come on. Paul, Paul's not through. Go to chapter 6. Watch this. You're not going to believe this. Some of you are going to say, oh, boy, the typical homiletical hyperbole. That's what we get from Dwight. Homiletical hyperbole. Okay. Check it out for yourself. Romans chapter 6. Come on. Check it out. R Romans chapter 6. Verse 3, Paul says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Scholars believe that that baptized into Christ, that notion from the very beginning of the Christian faith, was the, was the seed for Paul to champion this phrase over 200 times, in Christ. He got it from the baptismal formula. You're baptized into Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Hey, Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his what? You, his death was yours. You were so into him, his death became yours. Keep reading, verse 4. And we were therefore buried with him. His burial became yours. Keep reading. Buried with him in, in, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, guess what? We too came up with him. We came up with him, Resurrection Sunday. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Man, you're really in when you're in. You die with him, you're buried with him, you rise with him, and guess what? You didn't know this. You ascended with him. Did you know that you ascended with Christ? Come on, you ascended with Christ. You say, now this is where you're pulling my leg right. No, 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 no. Come on. Paul, Ephesians chapter 2. You got a Bible? Turn, it to, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this. Look at this. Can you believe this is in your Bible? Ephesians chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 4. Ephesians 2, verse 4, but because of, Paul is just so enamored with the love of God. Everywhere you turn, you're running into God's love with Paul. But because of 
His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive together with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. You remember that, that, that phrase we read? It's all tangled up in sin. You don't know what to do. Remember that phrase? Guess what? When you're in the all tangled up and dead in sin phase of your life, God has already moved, begun moving you into in Christ. He didn't wait for a changed life to do it. He started while you were still dead in transgressions. Mercy. And, oh boy, oh boy, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Guess where you are right now if you're in Christ? You're already in heaven. You are already in heaven. Do you believe that? Because when the Creator says, you're already in heaven, if you say, amen, it is. I just said amen, Dwight, but I'm still having to listen to you. Why aren't I in heaven? You're there. In Christ. Keep reading. Here's one more verse. Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages God might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us. There it is again, over 200 times. In Christ Jesus. That is absolutely Unbelievable. We died in Him. We're buried with Him. We rose with Him. We ascended with Him. We're sitting on the throne of the universe in Christ Jesus with Him. Now, think, think. When you're sitting on the throne with Christ, how could God ever lose you? How could you be lost? You're already there. You're there. You're secure. He can't lose you. Unless you say, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Send me back. Send me back. We do not understand how this in Christ theme is absolutely huge in God's economy of salvation. This in Christ phrase, this in Christ truth, there is no huger truth. We just invented a word. No huger truth than this one. That's why Paul devoted his life now to preach in Christ, in Christ. And that little old lady we were talking about a moment ago, God bless her, got it right again. When she wrote these stunning words in a letter to someone who needed to read them, and that someone may be you today. I'll put them on the screen for you. You'll take them home in that study guide. You didn't get a study guide? Ask one of these friendly ushers who will be sitting up here, and you can get it from them. The message from God to me for you. Here's your message from God. A message from God to me for you is, and she's quoting a red letter words in John 6, 37, the words of Jesus, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. By the way, in the Greek, this is very interesting, in the Greek, look at that line, I will in no wise, that's a double negative in the Greek. I will no not ever cast out. You come to me, in Christ, forever. Now she goes on. Watch this. Watch this. If you have nothing else to plead before God but this one promise from your Lord and Savior, you have the assurance that you will never, never be turned away. I want to tell you something. I promise you this. That little lady had no clue that there was a double negative in John 6, 37. But when she reacts to the promise, what does she put? A double negative in the English. You will never, never 
In case you missed the first one. You will never, never be turned away. Keep reading because it gets even better. It may seem to you that you are hanging upon a single promise, but appropriate that one promise and it will open to you the whole treasure house of the riches of the grace of Christ. Cling to that promise and you are safe. Quote the line again for us, please. She that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Present this assurance to Jesus and you are as safe as though already, I'm adding, inside the city of God, end quote. I rest my case. When you're in Christ, you're on the throne now. You're inside the city. Do you understand that? You can't get lost unless you say, let me out of here. Let me out. I don't like this place. You're free to go, by the way. But why would anybody say, let me out of here? Wow. Christ's promise, Christ's grace is so strong, so sure. It's as if you're already there. Oh, Dwight, come on then. Tell me, tell me, tell me. How can I be in Christ? Okay, here's how. Yeah, but come on, tell me something. No, I am. What do you mean? What is this? This is what you do. You want to be in Christ? This is what you do. This frail little hand is upturned. And you know what the hand is saying for the heart? Amen. Amen. I'll take it. I'll take it, please. That's all you have to do. Take it. Just put your hand out. Ask him. It's yours. Don't walk away. Put put two hands out. That helps. Some of you are saying to yourself, I know, I know. This is what you're saying. Oh, this is so elementary. I am so farther on in my life than this. Well, goody for you. (laughs) Sounds to me like a Pharisee was praying to God, Oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like that wretch on the back row of the balcony. I got my life together. Thank you, Jesus. Same little lady. These words on the screen, all of us need to humble our own individual hearts and be converted. How often? What's that last word? How often? Daily. 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 It's been a long time since you ever told Jesus, I'm in you and you're in me. I know you're a member of some church somewhere. It's fine. It won't get you anywhere. It may have been a long, maybe a long time since you've told Jesus. You can start today and tomorrow morning and the next and the next. What do I pray, Dwight? What did Jesus say in John 15, 5? Abide in me and I in you. It's life. You abide in me, I in you. you in, you're in Christ, I'm in you. So your prayer every day could be, oh God, today, right now, as the day begins, I want to be in Christ. And please, Jesus in me. That's all I'm asking. Let me be in him. May he be in me. Every day. Be converted daily. Every day in Christ. You say, but Dwight, what, is this, what in the world does this have to do with the regrets of Oscar Wilde? Oscar Wilde. Put his picture on the screen for you. Irish playwright, novelist, poet, essayist, one of the great luminaries in the world of the arts in the 19th century. His single novel, The 
the picture of Dorian Gray, widely acclaimed, brilliant mind, academic honors. One, one author described him as a scintillating writer. Oscar Wilde, at the height of his fame and success, almost by accident, ended up in court not once but twice, and it was the second time that the secrets of his life were exposed to the public, and he was shamed before the world. They gave him a two-year sentence of hard labor. And while in prison, he reflected on his tragic fall and described his spiritual journey in a very long letter that has since been titled, De Profundis. Latin. Wilde was released from prison after his two-year sentence. He died a year later in Paris, destitute. He was 46. But from that De Profundis, these words of his confession. On the screen, please. The gods had given me almost everything. But I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in search of, for new sensation. What the paradox was to me in the sphere of thought, perversity became to me in the sphere of passion. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber, one has some day to cry aloud from the housetop. I ceased to be Lord over myself. I was no longer captain of my soul and did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me, and I ended in a horrible disgrace." End quote. The regrets of Oscar Wilde. What a tragic story. What a sad ending to so much promise. <laughs> because nobody's story, nobody's story has to end this way. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus spoke the very words when they threw that woman taken in adultery in a heap at his feet. Jesus said to her, Woman, neither do I condemn you. Now go in peace. Leave your life of sin behind. No condemnation. No regrets. When you are in Christ, which you can be right now. Right now. You say amen. You say amen inside. You have it. Believe. Believe. Apparently you can even say to get a miracle, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You get the miracle anyway just the side seed of a mustard plant. It's all I need. Just believe me. He says, and you're in Christ. Amen. Oh, God, could the truth be this simple?
Could it be this clear? Could the news be this glorious? Please, my Lord, look into our hearts, O wretched man, O wretched woman that I am. Look into our hearts and hear the quiet Amen that we speak to you now.